Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to worship today, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us say, online. Before we begin, can I just reiterate our thanks to everyone who provided so much for the Highland Food Bank at the recent appeal, and also to those who donated so generously to the uh, the Bryswood Shoebox um, appeal. I haven't got an exact number for boxes, but there were a lot of boxes filled upstairs yesterday. Uh, I will have the exact number next, hopefully for next week, but... Uh, just uh, thanks very much indeed for all uh, your generosity. And thanks also to those who provided the tea and indeed served at the tea at yesterday's funeral for the late Adam McFarker and, uh, and indeed to everybody who enabled everything to run smoothly yesterday. Many, many uh, thanks. Uh, it's all very much appreciated. And can I just remind uh, the congregation that uh, next Lord's Day, <coughs> it's our, uh, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper at the 12 noon service. If anybody would like to speak to me about that, please feel uh, free to get in touch. And can I just say this, it's, it's just great to see so many youngsters, children in the church today. Um, I hope nobody's going to take a morning off next Lord's Day because it's the communion. Because let's remember this, the, commun- the, the Lord's Supper superseded the Passover. And, and God gave commandment to the parents to make sure that their children were at the Passover so that they could ask any questions and so that they could be part of the whole thing. I will take the communion service myself. It won't be over long. And uh, I do hope that uh, you'll come along with your children. Noise does not matter to me, honestly. I remember saying to an old lady when we were in the old church in Bog Allen, I said, I don't care whether the children are swinging from the chandeliers or not, because uh, soon they will settle down. And uh, she was frowning at me, but uh, but uh, I, I'm not affected in any way by the noise of, uh, of, of, of young children. It's just great to have so many uh, around. So let's begin our worship today by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 95. <clears throat> it's page 357 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song, O come, let us sing to the Lord, come, let us every one a joyful noise make to the rock of our salvation. Then down to verse 6, O come and let us worship him, let us bow down with all, and on our knees before the Lord our Maker, let us fall. We'll sing verses 1 to 5, of, 1 to 6 rather, of Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord.
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we have been reminded in the words of that song we have been singing that you are the maker, you are the creator of each and every one of us. You are indeed the maker of the hills and the valleys and the seas, indeed the whole of this vast universe. And when we stop and ponder these truths, it sends a shiver down our spine, that by the word of your power you brought into being every last atom that this universe consists of. And for that reason alone, we ought to bow in worship and in adoration this day. But we are here to worship for another reason as well. We are here to worship you because you have done something about the sinful plight we find ourselves in. We pray that we would remember that this is the one day in seven that you have set aside where we leave the routine of ordinary work and concentrate on worshipping the living God in public and in private. This very day reminds us that you created this world. It's a constant memorial to that. But this day is a constant memorial to the truth that you came into the flow of the human race and you dwelled among us for 33 years. You suffered and died at Calvary, but on the third day you rose again triumphant over the grave. And this day doesn't just look back. It looks forward to the day when the resurrected Jesus will come to this world for a second time. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that you are indeed Christ the Lord. We remember, O Lord, those in our community who are mourning at this time. We remember the MacFacker family who gathered in this building for the funeral service of a loved one yesterday. We remember the Mackenzie family and the McLaughlin family. And we also uh, remember the family of Innes Fraser, whose sister they passed away just recently. We are reminded again and again and again that we are only here for a few short years and we move on into the great beyond. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the voice of little ones in our midst this day. Bless them, born and unborn, that they too must go the way of all flesh. We pray that from our earliest, from their earliest days, we would point them to Jesus the Saviour. We are all here today as sinners. We pray that we will all have fled to you. And we will be found sheltering under the shadow of your wing this day. Remember us, we pray, not just as a church. Remember us as a nation in the Burach we find ourselves in. O Lord our God, have mercy upon us. Come in amongst us and do us good. Remember our loved ones, wherever they may be across the globe this day. Have mercy upon them, bless them, and gather us all to yourself. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now I want to speak to the little ones, the children, about um, what happened here yesterday. Because it was a funeral service here, and that's, that's when we gather to worship God at the time someone dies. We gather to worship the great living and true God that we've just been singing about. Now the lady whose funeral it was yesterday was called Ada. Now her right name was Isabella, Isabella McFarker. And you know, someone asked me at the funeral yesterday, um, why was she called Ada? 
And I hadn't a clue why she was called Ada. In all my years of knowing her, I don't think I ever asked her. Oh, well, if I did, I've forgotten. And that's not a great surprise with a memory like mine. But I hadn't a clue why she was called Ada. But she was an old woman. She was 95 years old when she died. And you know, some people were asking me, would there be many at the funeral? And I just had to say, I really don't know. I don't know. Do you know, for a wee while before I came here, I was, I was a minister in one of the Inverness congregations just for a period of eight or nine weeks. And I did a funeral there. I did a funeral service there. And there was only one person attended that funeral service. There were two or three others who were carers in the home, the old folks' home or the eventide home, whatever you want to call care home. I'm not sure if I'm saying the right thing here or not. But uh, two or three of the carers came along. But the rest of the people, it was just one person. I thought that was very, very sad. But you know, yesterday I thought, you know, Ada's 95 years old. She's, she left this village 23 years ago. She's been out of things. People haven't been meeting her. Maybe, maybe there won't be all that many at, at the funeral. This church was full. This church was full of people yesterday. And I thought there was something really nice about that. That despite Ada being away from here for 23 years and being in a home for many, many years. In fact, she's been bedridden. She's had to stay in her bed all the time for a long time. I thought it was really nice. People hadn't forgotten her. And they came along to her uh, funeral service. But part of that was this. When Ada and her husband, Donnie, who's been gone from this world for a long time... When they were in this village and in this congregation, they were kind of the heart of everything. They were the heart and soul of the church, and they were the heart and soul of the community as well. And clearly people never forgot that. They never forgot that. The wonderful thing is, Ada was a believer in Jesus. I remember the very first time she came and she sat at the Lord's table. It was with one of our old buddies, one of our old friends. Uh, and and uh, she was called Mrs. Hutchison. And she, she used to be in the post office at Artefali. The post office at Artefali is long gone. But uh, she was an old woman when she died as well. She was, I don't know, she was more than 95, I think, if my memory serves me uh, correctly. But they both came and they sat at the Lord's table uh, Together, There was something lovely about that as well. But my point is this. A lot of people came to the funeral yesterday. They never forgot her. But I think they never forgot her because she didn't forget them while she was interacting with them. So the way we live our lives, it is important. Even from the point of view of how others see and indeed respond. May, may God enable us to all be people who trust in him. But also to be people who interact with others. And who make an impression on others. And leave a mark with others as we go through this world. Now let's sing again to God's praise and it's in Psalm number 116. It's found on page 395 of the Psalter. It's at the beginning of the song. I love the Lord because my voice and prayers he did hear. I while I live will call on him who bowed to me his ear. We are going to sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 116. I love the Lord.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 22. And we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where would you have us uh, prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. Until the master of the house, the teacher, says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as uh, he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of uh, Israel. <coughs> Amen. <coughs> may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the record of Scripture. It is just so honest. Even the twelve disciples had a great problem with their ego. And they fell out amongst themselves regarding which of them was the greatest. We too have that problem. Riddled with pride, And falling out with one another because of our egos. But help us to remember this. That greatness in your kingdom is measured measured 
in our willingness to be servants of others. May we remember that 700 years before you came into this world, the the prophet Isaiah spoke of you in terms of the servant. And in this very passage of scripture, you made it clear that you were in this world to serve. Your servitude involved a stooping that we have not comprehended. We have comprehended something of it, we hope. But only by your grace. We pray that as we delve into scripture this day, that we would appreciate something more of how much you stooped in order to save us and lift us up out of the pit of the miry clay and set us on a rock that has given us foundation for life and for eternity. O Lord our God, come in amongst us this day and do us good and enable us to go out into the week that we have entered into armed with what we need for the ongoing battle that is incredibly fierce. O Lord, help us, we pray, and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song, Psalm 116, page 396 of the Psalter. It's at verse 7. O thou my soul, do thou return unto thy quiet rest, for largely, lo, the Lord to thee his bounty hath expressed. Verses 7 to 12 of Psalm 116, O thou my soul. passage we've read in Luke's Gospel chapter 22 and we'll read again at verse 15 and Jesus said to them I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God 
Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of scripture. We're going to talk about two things today. We are going to talk first of all about the sufferings of Christ. And then secondly we're going to talk about the glory of Christ. These are the two things that come up in this passage of scripture. But let's set it into context first of all. Because we are here at the last Passover that Jesus would attend in this world. Now let's remind ourselves what the Passover was. In 1446 BC... Moses led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt heading for a land that God had promised to them a land flowing with milk and honey the land that we now call Israel. But the deliverance of the Jewish people or the children of Israel from the grasp of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh was not something that happened easily or automatically. I don't know how many people were in that crowd that left. The conservative estimate is one and a half million people, but some think there were even over three million. That's a lot of people. It may, it may not be a lot in terms of the world population today and even in terms of the population of our country, but it, uh, way back then that was a an enormous amount of people and the task that Moses had was a formidable task because they weren't a nation at that stage they were they were on the border of becoming a nation but they were a slave labor force for a long time in Egypt and there was no way that King Pharaoh who at that time was the most powerful man on the face of the earth was going to let them go at least not readily and there was a battle there was a battle royal between the most powerful man in this world and God. Now when these battles go on, there's only ever going to be one winner. Because men are men and God is God. There is only ever going to be one winner. And on this occasion, like every other occasion, it was the eternal God who was the winner. But you know what? It's not just King Pharaoh of three and a half thousand years ago that does battle with God, thinking they're going to be the winner. Because in actual fact, every time you and I sin... We are doing battle with God. And in our folly, we think we're going to be the winner. And we're never going to be the winners. We are always going to be the losers. Because we are who we are. In all our limitations and in all our sinnership, it's God who's going to win all the time. Every time. But Pharaoh took on God and God performs what we know as the ten plagues and eventually the children of Israel are away from the land of Egypt. But on the night they leave they are commanded to have a meal and the meal consisted of unleavened bread and roast lamb. But it wasn't just that they were having uh, something to eat before they set out on a long journey, which was a very common sense thing to, 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 to do. There was more than that involved. Because King Pharaoh had taken on the king that is God and rebelled against him. God is going to punish the rebellion of Egypt. You know, we have this airy-fairy idea of God nowadays, that God's kind of like, he's kind of like an old grandfatherly figure. And at the end of the day, he's going to give his children whatever they want. 
He's kind of like a wimpish God who's going to say at the end of the day, oh, what I said in the Ten Commandments, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's, 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 all, it's all going to be good at the end of the day. Where, where that notion of God comes from, I really don't know, but it's certainly not the Bible. It is true that God is a God of love. And he has showered us with his kindness in so many ways. But he is also a God of justice. And wherever there is rebellion and sin against him, it has to be dealt with by dint of the nature of God. And if it's not dealt with in you and I, as sinners, it has to be dealt with in someone else. And that's why you and I are here today, I hope, at any rate. Because God in his kindness and love has honoured his justice by giving our sins to Jesus to deal with our sins and the punishment of our sins. It's not that God's been a wimp in any way. Calvary is God dealing in a just manner with the sin of sinners who have fled to him. Let's remember that. Let's remember that. And God doesn't change in his nature. A way back then, God was going to send an angel over Egypt. And the firstborn in every household was going to die because of the rebellion of that nation. But there was a way for that to be prevented. And the way for that to be prevented was to listen to what God had to say. And God said, take some of the blood, put it on top of your doorposts. On the, on the door lintel and on the doorposts. Now I am quite sure that there were some people in uh, Egypt who watched the Jewish people doing that and thought they're crazy. They're absolutely crazy, these people. I guess there will be people today who will say of you and I being here seeking to worship this God, they're crazy, these people. They're just crazy. They're wasting their time. On the night that God's angel comes over Egypt, that angel is looking at the doors. And where there is obedience to God, that angel passes over and there's no death in the home. That's where this festival got its name. It's the Passover festival or the Passover feast. And for all of its history, right up until this very point in time where Jesus is here at this Passover, the Jews celebrated this annually, except for one area where it, they, they, they were neglectful. But on the whole, it was celebrated. For all those almost one and a half thousand years. And right now, here is Jesus, and he's celebrating this festival but it's very, very interesting what Jesus has to say at this time. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. And you think, what's that all about? Well, what it's about is this. The Passover festival is coming to an end. Jesus is about to institute what we call the Lord's Supper. And if we are spared to be here next Lord's Day, we will have the opportunity to sit at the Lord's Supper, at the Lord's table, and celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper superseded the Passover. It took the place of the Passover. It did so at the instigation of Jesus. That's what he's doing at this very moment that's recorded here. This is, this is history we are, we are dealing with. But we are wondering why is Jesus, why is he so eager? Why is he earnestly desiring to eat this Passover? Well, let's remember this. That every lamb that was slain in Old Testament times to provide the Passover was only a pointer. It was all symbolic. What was it symbolic of? Well, let's remember this. God tells us in his word that the blood of bulls and lambs cannot take away sin. So why, why did they use them? They used them because God commanded them to use them. And God was giving them symbols. Symbols of what? Symbols of a lamb 
who would come out there in the future who would actually deal with sin and its consequences. Who was that lamb? Here is this lamb. Remember what John the Baptist said at the outset of his ministry concerning Jesus. Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But let's remember this. God isn't just a God of love. He is. He's provided us with an escape route. He's met us at the point of our need. He's come to us in the plight we find ourselves in as sinners. But he's not just throwing his justice overboard. He's going to take your sin and mine and he's going to give it to this lamb who is none other than Jesus of Nazareth and he's going to bear the punishment for your sin and mine. But he hasn't actually done it yet. You go to Paul's epistles to the Corinthians and we discover that one of the names of Jesus is the Passover. He's the fulfillment of everything that the Passover pointed to. The Passover was a festival that involved the shedding of blood. The Passover will also have to have his blood shed to fulfill all righteousness. And for God to be a God of love and justice, to hold these things in perfect equilibrium. And here is Jesus, and he is earnestly desiring. Do you think, he knows who he is. And he knows that one of his names is the Passover. And he knows that he is the Passover. He sang the songs that we've just been singing throughout his 33 years in this world. He sang Psalm 22 that begins with this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A thousand years before Jesus was in this world, by the power of God's divine inspiration of scripture, the psalm writer would record words that Jesus would use shortly as he hangs on the cross at Calvary. And it's all mind-boggling stuff. How it all fits together. But it does all fit together. Because this is the eternal God. And there's nothing out of kilter with him. He's got all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzles together so that it makes a great panoramic picture. We're fumbling around half the time trying to make heads and tails of this, that and the next thing. God doesn't fumble around like that. And Jesus knew his Old Testament. And Jesus knew who he was and he knew, he knew what lay out there for him. But you know this, it's one thing to know intellectually that you have to go through something. It's another thing altogether when you've actually got to go through it. It's like maybe you're going to go through an operation in a fortnight's time, maybe major surgery or something like that. It's one thing to think, oh yes, oh yes. But when you're being wheeled along the corridor to the theater, the operating theater, it's a different ballgame altogether. And here is Jesus, and he knows. He knows that what lies out there is absolutely enormous. In fact, he, he, he mentions it before I suffer. He knows that there is suffering out there for him. And this is the question why is he so eager to suffer? Why is he so eager to get this last Passover over and done with? And the, and the answer is this. Because the, 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 the Passover is going to be superseded by the Lord's Supper, which is the breaking of bread and the cup of wine. Again, symbols. Symbols that don't look forward, but symbols that look back to the brokenness of Jesus' body and the shedding of his blood. What for? For the remission of sins. That's what for.
for the remission of, uh, of sins. So here is Jesus and he's earnestly desiring to get this Passover done. But he knows it's going to involve enormous suffering. Why is he, why is he exposing himself to it? Not only is why is he exposing himself to it, why so earnest, why so eager, why so ardent? And that leads me on to my second point, which is the glory of Christ. But before I say that, I have to say this. What drives Christ is this, is the salvation of sinners like you and I. Because that is what is at the end of it. And if my memory will serve me before this sermon is over, I'll come back. I will come back to that. It's for the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured for the joy. And the joy is saving a people. You know, I don't think we would make this kind of stuff up in our wildest dreams. We would take a good hard look at ourselves and we would say, no, we dare not go there. We dare not go there. We can't. But God dares to go there. And God does that. And Christ gives himself with eagerness and ardency and vibrancy to paying the price of redemption for sinners. This is glorious truth. This is glorious truth. And you know, I don't know how it has been with you today, but you know, on the Lord's Day, particularly when you're going to come to the Lord's house to be part and parcel of uh, the public worship of God, the enemy of our souls can have a heady with us. He can highlight our sins and the enormity of them to the extent you want to run a thousand miles away and hide and go nowhere near the house of God. If that's your experience, you're not unique. You're not unique. It's all part of this war zone. It's all part of this theater of spiritual warfare. It is fierce. And it is dreadful at times. But we are here. And we're exploring the word of God. And we're exploring the word of God that tells us the price of redemption has been paid by Christ. What does that mean when the enemy comes in like a flood? We just point him to this. Do you know what? He has no answer for this. He has no answer for this. He can attack us and drag us down and have us all over the place. Because who we are in and of ourselves. But he's no answer to those who flee to the refuge that is Christ. But I must move on to this second point, And it's the glory of Christ. For I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now if you look at the, the word eat it. There's a wee two beside it. And at the foot of the page there's a footnote. Some manuscripts never eat it again. And that would make sense. But even if this is the correct one that we've got here. I want us to remember this. These were symbols that they were dealing with in the festival of the Passover. They were symbols pointing to something else. Now the Passover was a fellowship meal. And here is Christ at this fellowship with his disciples. He changes the Passover into the Lord's Supper. And these two things are pointing at the same thing. Fellowship in Christ. Where does Christ go from here? Christ goes to the garden. He goes from the garden to the high priest's house. Then to Pilate. Then to Herod. And then back to Pilate. And then on to the cross at Calvary. Into the tomb the day after this takes place. And on the third day the glorious resurrection takes place. And 40 days after that he returns to heaven. Where he has been for the last two millennia. And today he is there. In the holy of holies of heaven. In the presence of God. With nail pierced hands. The lamb has been sacrificed. And provision has been made. So that you and I can sit at the Lord's table. And eat and drink to his glory. 
Will he ever sit down with these disciples again in this way and participate in this manner? No. No. Christ is in glory today. He has received the reward for all that he has done in order to honor God and to save sinners such as you and I are. But everything that these symbols point to, the day will come when we will share in that glory with Christ. The author Catechism says this, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately enter into glory. The souls. The bodies remain in the grave until the resurrection. Now our final salvation isn't just soul salvation. Our final salvation will be a soul and body salvation. Our bodies will not be exactly like the ones we have just now, but they're called spiritual bodies, and that gets a wee bit confusing. But they're, they're, they're Scripture talks of our soul and the body. Remember the thief that was saved. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Not his body, but his soul. Paradise is a synonym for heaven. Heaven is where Christ is glorified in the way that he ought to be glorified. By people who are there, souls who are there, and God himself. The saved thief is in, his soul is in glory this day. And we believe the souls of all those who uh, were believers and who passed uh, from, from this world. And they rejoice in the glory that is Christ's this day. And they're enveloped in it themselves. They're all part of it. The astonishing thing is this, that Christ is in the presence of the eternal God and the eternal God sees saved souls as if they were as righteous as Christ himself. Because where did they get their righteousness from? It's Christ's righteousness. He gives it to us. This sounds almost too good to be true, that in the eyes of an eternal God, you and I will be seen as being as holy as Christ was himself. But that's where we get our righteousness from, clothed in the garments of Christ. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it is the truth. I'm not making it up. It's come from the pages of Scripture. And Scripture is the revelation of God to us. And here he is, and he's talking in uh, these very terms. I tell you, I'll not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's looking forward to a time when everything that the symbols point to is fulfilled is actually fulfilled and yes the saved thief is in paradise with Christ today but there will come a day when Christ comes back to this world for a second time and the dust of that man's body and bones will come together and be used by God there will be a great change that will take place but ultimately the day will come when he will be body and soul in the presence of Christ in the presence of God and everything that was pointed to in the, in the Passover and everything that was pointed to in the Lord's Supper will be fulfilled and that is a glorious prospect. That is a glorious prospect. You know, we live in the day and age where God is forgotten. But still the human race dies. And we live in the day and age of funerals of all types and all sorts. You will not believe what I have been asked to do at funeral services by and by over the years of my ministry and usually it results in that I just don't do the funeral 
where do you find hope in the presence of death? Where do you find hope in the reality of sin? There's only one place. The Passover. And all that it pointed to. The Lord's Supper. And all that it pointed to. And that it still points. Points to. Where's that? It's a person. It's this person. It's this Christ. It's this Christ. Why was he so eager? Why is he so earnest? Why is he so enthusiastic? Well, at one level he wants to give God what God wants. Yeah, but what is it that God wants? That Christ is bound up with. Here's the great mystery. It's you and I. It's you and I in all our warts and blemishes and deformity and depravity. That's who he wants. That is astonishing. That is astonishing. But that is the hope of the gospel. And that is the only thing that can give you hope at the time when death comes. And of course it's coming to us all. Sooner or later, you know, you're morbid, you're morbid and you're a killjoy if you talk on that subject at all in our present ethos and in our present culture and in our present climate. We're only being realists. We're only being realists. But we can afford to be realists because God's a realist. And God knows what our plight is. And God has done something about our plight. And God so loved this world that he sent this Christ into this world to do something about it. And here he is at his very last Passover. And he's earnestly designed to get on with his suffering. Why? So that there would come a day when everything that every symbol pointed to would be gloriously fulfilled. And we would join him in his glory. And we would be at one with God. And there is nothing in all this world quite like that. Nothing. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. The table has been prepared. And the command from this Christ to sinners like you and I is this. Do this in remembrance of me. But here's the question. Will we? Will we? Or will we not? May God grant that we would give Christ the honour that he is due. Just one final qualifier. To the person who is here this day, who feels so ugly on the inside because of the ugliness of the sinfulness of your life, let me just say this. Nobody that sits at the Lord's table should see themselves otherwise. You're not in that boat alone. We're all in it if we are genuine believers. The ugliness of our sin depresses the life out of us at the ti- at times. But we've got to remember that I'm not I'm not asking anybody to put their head in the sand and to pre- pretend to be what they're not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's be upfront and honest with the ugliness of our sin. But let's remember this Christ as well. And why he came into this world. And what he achieved on the part of sinners. That's why we must do in remembrance of him. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, please give us the grace. To give you your due respect. Today and in all the days that lie ahead. And for those who are trembling about the Lord's table. Who would love to be there but have never been there before. Give them the strength they need. 
Indeed, give us all the strength that we need each and every day. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing the final few verses of this song to God's praise. It's Psalm 116. It's page 396. It's at verse 13. I'll of salvation take the cup. On God's name will I call. I'll pay my vows now to the Lord before his people all. We'll sing to the end of the song. I'll of salvation take the cup. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore.